Welcome to the podcast, today's Voices of Conservation Science, and I'm Chris Guy. I'm your host for today's podcast. This podcast focuses on people doing science that's then used to conserve natural resources. And today I'm here with Milan Vinks, and he is a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology. Milan, welcome. Thank you very much, Chris. How are you doing today? I feel great. Excellent. Beautiful day out there today. Oh, it's beautiful. Sunny Bozeman. Yep. Warm weather. It feels like spring. It does. I know. And we're sitting in the office, so. Perfect. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, uh, Milan, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you grew up and how you ended up in Montana. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I was born in the Netherlands, actually, um, and moved to the U.S. in the year 2000 with my family and uh, settled in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I pursued to graduate from high school. And then after graduating from high school, I wanted to move out west. Um, I moved to Missoula and uh, started studying wildlife biology at the University of Montana there. And, uh, yeah, the next four years I was just enjoying life in, in a small mountain town and doing everything associated with that, that setting. And then, uh, yeah. So, so Missoula, so that's a big change from Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Missoula is definitely a big change. Cincinnati's a pretty big town, you know, yeah. close to a million people in terms of the greater area. So Netherlands to Cincinnati versus Cincinnati to Missoula. What's a bigger, bigger jump? Ooh. <laughs> I think in terms of where I was in my lifetime, um, I think the transition from Cincinnati to Missoula was probably bigger yeah. just because I was older and had been settled in a little more. But So um, Missoula, great, great place uh, <clears throat> to to do your studies at. They, they have a great uh, um, natural resource program there. And so just curious what compelled you to get into a career in conservation. I know it started in Missoula and now you're here, so... What what started that whole thing? Um, well, I've um, yeah, I've always been extremely passionate about the outdoors and and wildlife. Um, you know, when it was when I was a kid, you know, catching frogs and lizards and snakes and keeping keeping them in all sorts of terrariums and and just observing them behind the glass and things like that. Uh, to when I when I got older and got more of a you know passion for for what it meant to to do research and, and conserve these species. Um, I think it led me to to pursue that path, um, and be able to dedicate you know my career to to understanding natural systems and and figuring out ways to to implement um, conservation strategies, um, whether it be you know directly through research or communications with the public or other other methods. Mm-hmm. So, just curious, who or what was instrumental in getting you interested in? the conservation profession early on? So my parents were definitely a big part of that um, that decision in terms of their support for, for my passion and, and um, enjoyment of the natural world and, and pursuing it. Uh, my godfather was, uh, I think, initially one of the first people that, that made me aware of the possibility to actually pursue that as a career as well. Um, and so after, after t- chatting with him and having him kind of, you know, lay down that, that idea. Um, I definitely, you know, held, held, um, held in me and I, uh, I ended up going, going that route in terms of my education, higher education. So, 
So I think that's a good segue kind of into your research, um, you know, because you're here at Montana State University and I saw a presentation that you gave the other day on your research. It's really fascinating. And so um, just tell us a little bit about kind of the fundamentals of your your research question and, and, and the project that you're working on. So for the last uh, two and a half years or so, I've been working for an organization um, called the Zambian Carnivore Program uh, based in in Zambia in South Central Africa. And we, I mean, we look at a variety of, of um, conservation and research questions a- across the country. Um, we have three three major study sites that we have. And um, last year or so, last couple of years now, I've been working in uh, Kafui National Park, which is in, in, in the central part of the country. Uh, and the greater Kafui ecosystem, uh, so the surrounding protected areas as well. Um, and my my research now specifically is focusing on a, a lion population there, uh, assessing density and survival uh, of this population in a system that's that's facing, um, you know, uh, quite a lot of threats, um, anthropogenic threats, threats specifically um, due to poaching. Um, and so we're trying to essentially, you know, get at um, the the severity impact of of these anthropogenic impacts on, on that lion population and how it could potentially be affecting their density um, and survival rates um, to better you know assess uh, management uh, strategies in that in that area. So, just curious, how do you go about um, um, estimating the density of lions or? Um, and, and, and I might have missed it, but are you also estimating the density of the ungulates? So that's the prey, I'm guessing. So you're, so you're trying to estimate the density of the predator and the prey. And just for our listeners, how do you go about that, that process? It seems kind of like a daunting task. Yeah, definitely, Chris. It's, it's a lot of work, but fortunately, you know, we, we've been looking at, at that system for quite a long time now. Um, so we have about six years of, of data, uh, but, uh, yeah, so to address the, the, you know, whether or not those anthropogenic impacts are are affecting the population, we we want to assess the ungulate population, so the prey base of the lion population, and and how poaching is directly impacting their food source, and then potentially indirectly affecting the, the lion population itself. So we we have a variety of methods uh, that we use um, um, for the ungulate work. We uh, we implement a method known as distance sampling, which is a common common use tool in, in wildlife biology across the world um, and it's it's essentially a, a straightforward tool to measure um, and and essentially ca- directly count um, uh, ungulates on the on the landscape um, by driving transects that you have then systematically uh, designated beforehand and so we've been doing that over the last six years now and then to to address you know lion density and survival we we actually have a huge database of of uh, what we term marked individuals, so we we can actually ad- uniquely identify each lion by their whisker spots, um, just like your cat, where the oh, where the whiskers cool. go into the face. They have a little unique spot pattern, just like your fingerprint. And so, are you getting close up photos of those? Yeah. Then, kind of like they do with, um, I guess, like killer whales and fin patterns and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it's the same concept. You just we have you know we have pretty good cameras with, with long lenses, so we can get those close up shots. Um, of those whiskers and even the nose pattern as well. The pigmentation on the nose is unique and changes through their life cycle, uh, through their life stages as they get older. Um, and so we have a catalog of all these individuals, essentially just a PowerPoint slide 
And then we uniquely, you know, we give them a unique number that goes into our database. And so over time, every time we see individuals, we, we record that and that those resites go into, go into our database. And so that's a way, a method of, of, of uh, estimating, uh, estimating these parameters that we're looking at. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So just curious, uh, I was thinking about like pet cats and pet dogs, you know, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, maybe. So getting to, I mean, I know it depends on the different breeds, but how old's, uh, what's an old lion? How, I mean, I know you have the, the effects of maybe the poaching, but let's say you didn't have that. What, what's the longest a lion would live? So we actually just had um, one of the oldest known lions in Zambia. She just passed um, this last year, and she was actually recorded to be 17 years old, which is pretty extraordinary for, for a lion in the wild. Uh, but, you know, average age for a female could be up, you know, between 12, 12 years is kind of, you know, pushing the end of their life. Uh, their life. Um, for males, it's a little younger just because they deal with a little more conflict um, and pressure uh, once they once they leave, you know, an established territory as they get older. So, you know, 10 is pretty old for a male, adult male lion. And, and I don't know, you know. <clears throat> this isn't my area of expertise, but I'm thinking, are the ungulates uh, um, don't live quite as long? Or is that too broad of a blanket statement? There's probably some ungulates that live for quite, uh, quite a bit longer than others, I'm guessing. Yeah, and that's definitely true. And and Kafui is actually extremely unique in the sense uh, that there is a high diversity of ungulate species. It's actually I think one of the one of the highest diversities in all of Africa. It's a uh, twenty-one listed different ungulate species, and that's just antelope. So there's, you know, that's not including zebra um, and elephants and things like that. So twenty-one species of antelope is is a massive diversity, and yet, and they, you know, they range in size. So your larger antelope species would be living a little longer on average than say your small, you know, but um, thicket dwelling antelopes. So, mm-hmm. so I'm. I'm- I'm kind of getting the point of why your research is important. I mean, obviously, um, poaching isn't a it doesn't fall into the management strategy very well for a for a, a park. But um, it, thinking about kind of your research and what's the best thing you could discover um, relative to your question, I guess what what would what would you th- what would that be if you could take a crystal ball and have everything work out perfect? So, you know, just kind of facing the facts now, um, you know, the, the, the lion population in, in sub-Saharan Africa has, has undergone a 43% population decline in the last two decades. Um, and they're currently listed as vulnerable. Uh, so they're, you know, they, and they, they face a, a handful of threats. And so, you know, this work is really important in, in terms of assessing, assessing how this stronghold within Zambia is doing um, in terms of con- conserving the species in Zambia in, into the future here. Um, and I mean, in terms of our findings, if we find out that, you know, that the lines are doing, uh, well, uh, given the circumstances, then that, that would probably be one of the more positive things we could figure out. Realistically, we, we don't hypothesize that that's the case. And that's why we're doing the work because we need to confirm, confirm that fact and, and see how we can best address, address issues, um, associated with that, with those facts. So, so I'm just curious about what the management uh, applications would be of your research. So, obviously, we're we're looking at trying to address anthropogenic impacts uh, on the lion population and the, and the ungulate population w- within Kafui. And uh, you know, currently there 
it is assumed that that this is having an impact, but but we don't know, um, you know. And we strive to use use science based management. So so in order to make make decisions um, in terms of addressing these issues, we need to first know know what's going on. And I think um, the Department of National Parks and Wildlife, the the you know the management agency within within Zambia, who who we collaborate with very closely and have a great working relationship with. Um, for them to, you know, um, address what, what type of population numbers they, they would consider viable for, for the park and for, for the tourism industry. Um, in order to come up with those, those numbers, they would first, you know, need to, need to have an idea, idea of the density and, and what the trend is of the population. Is it going down? Is it stable? Is it increasing? And, and what, what, what factors are affecting those trends and, and, and how can they address those, those, uh, impacts or factors um, from there, from their end. I'm here with uh, Milan Venks, and he's a graduate student at Montana State University in the Department of Ecology, working on African lions in Zambia. Um, just curious, you know, we have Yellowstone Park just down the road here. Are there some parallels between Yellowstone and Kafui, where you're working? Yeah, I, d- I definitely think so. I mean, my boss did his PhD in Yellowstone, so he compares everything that we do to Yellowstone, which I think is applicable once you're here, uh, there, maybe not so much. Although Yellowstone is definitely, I think, a, an icon of, of, of uh, national parks, globally speaking. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, you have, you have an intact large ecosystem with, you know, an intact carnivore guild in terms of, you know, wolves and coyotes and uh, foxes running around with, uh, you know, along with grizzly bears and black bears here and and you know large charismatic megafauna such as bison and elk and and you know variety of deer so um, I definitely think it's comparable um, and, and you know the the interactions and the comp- competition between all those species um, you know on an ecological level is definitely very similar one of the big issues that I'm sure you're aware of is the the bison issue and bison leaving the park or um, you know, there's even people get upset about wolves leaving the park. Are there um, issues like that in, in Zambia where you have, I mean, I I, I just I find it kind of interesting. Ungulates leaving the park would be a, a problem, um, but I don't know if that's the case in, in Zambia or, or do you have kind of that, that um, a, a lot of um, human development around the park where there's those interactions? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, these parks were established to, to, to kind of, you know, conserve these, these natural hotspots of wildlife, um, and natural resources. But of course, you know, with growing, um, human populations and, and demand for resources and, and in a developing country where, you know, priorities aren't necessarily, uh, conservation of wildlife or natural resources, but rather, you know, um, fulfilling a lifestyle that, that they see, um, you know, uh, on television in the Western world and things like that. Um, I think there's, you know, extensive pressure on these protected areas and, and encroachment is definitely, uh, a concern that we have and, and something that Kafui is facing just as much as any other protected area in Zambia and sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so yeah, ironically, I think the biggest problem Kafui is facing is people coming in as opposed to wildlife going <laughs> wildlife out, out yeah. but um it's definitely you know for large large scale landscape level conservation there's a lot of effort to try and work on connectivity between these protected areas and 
Kafui is actually part of the uh, Greater Kavango uh, Zambezi Transfront for Trans Frontier Conservation Area, um, which is uh, which is definitely something that I am not going to continue talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I just. Uh, just listening to you talk about that there, you know, there are a lot of parallels, you know, there's Yellowstone to Yukon and those kinds of things. And it's just interesting that, um, these are global issues. You know, we, we sit here, like we were saying in Bozeman, Montana, and we, you know, think that this is just issues yet with Yellowstone park, but it's, it's throughout the globe in terms of managing these parks and the resources in them. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So one last question. Um, I like to ask all our guests this. What's your favorite animal, plant, or both? So I I actually have a three-way tie for this for animal. I, oh. And I picked a fish, <laughs> bird, and mammal. I hope that's okay. Oh, I told other people that they could only pick one. Oh, but well, if, uh, no, I'll, pick, go- I'll pick one. Okay. I'll, I'll play by the rules. Okay. So I, I think a Stellar's Jay is probably my favorite animal. What were the other ones? Bull trout and a sable antelope. Oh, which, oh man! I don't know if you're familiar with sable, but I'm they're... not. But I am with the bull trout. I was really rooting for the bull trout oh, okay. after you said it. Now Stellar's jay is very nice too. Yeah, yeah, they're always yeah. enjoyable to encounter in the woods. So yeah, and your favorite plant? Uh, silvery lupine. Excellent. Yeah, yeah I'm good, a big fan of purple. Good so. choices. Milan, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. And I wish you the best in your studies at Montana State University and your research in Zambia. And if you ever need a photographer to go along, give me a call. I would be on the next flight out of Bozeman. Thanks for listening to today's Voices of Conservation Science, and please spread the word about this podcast.